Welcome back to the dark side. I am your host, Brianna. And I'm Dyson. And this is Dark Adaptation. This is Dark Adaptation. This is episode 34. Hello, welcome, Dyson. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. Thank you for being here. Oh my god. Yeah. You know what's crazy? What? Um, I didn't really have a choice. <laughs> oh. This is like my show. Oh, that's true. Oh my god. Yeah, you don't even leave be- between weeks. Nope. 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 We got some guest hosts, you know, <clears throat> Steph's here once in a while. She wants to come on and do some astrology stuff. Mm-hmm. Paige is here. Uh, schedule will be every other month. And she does her cool cryptid folklore stuff, which I love. Sorry, I was just thinking about Mothman. <laughs> and so, you're, like all the time. Yeah, all the time, pretty much. And then you're here because you have to be because you're the producer and you do all of this mixing and the um, uh, sound. <laughs> Feel really appreciated. I don't know the words are. I'm sorry. You're like a, you're a little engineer over there. A little knob wench. Ones and twos. That's what I like to say. Yeah, working the ones and twos. And then you come in provide someone for like <coughs> fill a seat you know so yeah. i have someone to tell the story to someone to talk at uh, yeah to- <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> talk at <laughs> so yeah 34 isn't that crazy episode 34 yeah last week and the week before that it was our two-part series on the, um little pods growing up <laughs> gotta pay taxes now <laughs> <laughs> oh <coughs> are you gonna be okay you're still a little wheezy? I'm still wheezy. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So two weeks the last two weeks have been two part series on the serial murderer and serial arsonist Bruce Lee. Yeah. Daft Peter. It just feels so weird calling a serial killer Bruce Lee. It's isn't awful. It? Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, that was the first time we went to the UK, so hopefully you guys liked that episode. It was definitely interesting to research and haven't really done one like that. Not like a serial arsonist. No, that was that was def- definitely a new one. Mm-hmm. Yep. So this week, though, we're coming back over to North America. We're in the U.S. And we're discussing Joe Ball, who is an American murderer and suspected serial killer. Joe who? Ball. <laughs> <laughs> just the one, huh? Yeah, just one. Singular. Singular ball. <laughs> He's Joe Ball is referred to as the Alligator Man, the Butcher of Elmendorf, and the Bluebeard of South Texas. Oh, is he a monster? Before we jump into this, well, yeah. Okay, well, like, why does he get so many cool fucking names? I know it's such a weird thing giving people like <coughs> really, you know, catchy, pretty badass names like. If think about when we did a Forest City series, like the Mad Slasher mm-hmm. and like the London Chambermaid Slayer. Yep. Those are like sound pretty epic, but you're like, okay, let's take a step back. What did they do though? Like, woof. Yeah. Yeah. But one guy gets Bluebeard. What the fuck? Yeah. It's Bluebeard of South Texas. Good old Blue Ball. <laughs> one. <laughs> I mean, I don't know anything about, I didn't speak to his like, 
family <laughs> physician or anything. <laughs> no, that's for the best. That's for the best. I don't need it. Also, this is like old timey. So if you had a family physician, he's probably not around anymore. Mm. Most of the information for this episode came from a Texas Monthly article that was written by a man named Michael Hall. So that's where I got the majority of the information from. And then, as always, other sources are on our website, mm-hmm. darkadaptationpodcast.ca. Oh, yeah. Okay. So before I get into this, uh, Mr. Ball, this is the last episode of September. Mm-hmm. So you know what that means. It means we're heading into spooky season. Yes. And what else does it mean? We're going to be sharing some ghost stories. We will be sharing ghost stories next month. We'll be sharing all kinds of spooky stuff next month. But mainly what I'm getting at is that if you stay tuned until the end, I will tell you our schedule for October. Mm. And then you'll know exactly what kind of spooky stuff is headed your way. Because October is my favorite month. Halloween is my favorite holiday. And it's already (laughs) spooky in here. There's already there's already Halloween decorations <laughs> everywhere. There is, and, and I've said, "Oh, it's spooky in here." And what did you say? Oh, just wait. Yeah, she's not even done. <laughs> everywhere I look, there's decorations. There's a whole box left. Yeah, literally, I have like a bright, not bright orange, just an orange light bulb, mm-hmm. and I switched out the lamp next to, mm-hmm. so it just has a spooky orange glow over there. You can't even see my hair. No, you'll Just backlit. You, I look bald. Yeah, you didn't invite your hair to this episode. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Are you ready? Yeah. So yeah, everyone, wait till the end when we talk about <clears throat> October schedule, the more spooky season. I'm excited. <laughs> In the 1930s, Joe Ball was the owner of a tavern called the Sociable Inn. This was located on Highway 181 near Elmendorf, Texas, which is like this small little town about 15 miles southeast of San Antonio, Texas. Joe was a difficult person to get along with sometimes. You know, he was kind of a dick and uh, not everyone liked him. But even though not everyone liked him, the tavern was always really busy. Business was booming. But Joe had a problem. He had a hard time keeping waitresses employed because they all seemed to find work elsewhere and just disappear into the night. He had another problem. Neighbors were complaining about the smell coming from his gator pit. Oh, no. That's right. While the sociable inn was known for many things, like its fine brewskis and even finer waitresses, its most memorable feature was the alligator pit behind the tavern. Okay, there is a lot to unpack there. So, uh, what do you think, Dyson? Should we just start with getting to know this alligator man? Yeah, let's get to know this this alligator ball. <laughs> okay, Joseph D. Ball. <laughs> I knew that you were gonna. <laughs> so uh, Joseph D. Ball, he's a Capricorn, born mm-hmm. on January seventh, eighteen ninety six, in Elmendorf, Texas. Today, the population is around sixteen hundred, but when Joe was born, it would have been like three hundred people. Teeny tiny. Yeah, little, little 
little small little community. It's a little tiny, yeah. Uh, so it's a hamlet. Little hamlet. Is that right? I don't know. Neither. I don't know, but I'm confident in it. Me too. Okay, yeah. Hamlet. He was the great great grandson of John Hart Crenshaw, who was a notorious kidnapper, illegal slave trader, and illegal slave breeder in Gallatin County, Illinois. Oh, that's a baddie. Oh, that's a someone you wouldn't be ever <laughs> proud to see in your family tree. That's no, for sure. you just look at that and be like, "Fuck." You're like, "How? How about no?" Yeah. Just no. 20, 23 and me. No, thank you. You just hope to do better. But <coughs> I mean, obviously, we're talking about Joe Ball. So. Set the bar so low. I just need to do better. <laughs> I know. He was not a slave trader or slave breeder, but he still wasn't great. Yeah. So he was the son of Frank and Elizabeth Ball. Frank moved to Elmendorf, Texas around 1885, and when he got there, he borrowed some money from the bank to open up a cotton processing factory. Mm-hmm. And soon after opening his factory, the railroad ran tracks through town. So Frank's business, like, fucking, off. yeah, it took off. And it actually made him the richest man He's in Elmendorf. <laughs> He's the richest man in that 300 mm-hmm. person. He's a high roller. He was the highest roller. <laughs> Props. Gatsby's ball, huh? Yote. So as many men of wealth do, Frank began dabbling in real estate. He was buying and selling properties throughout the area. Uh, it was mainly farms because he just wanted like a lot of property. And it was also farms because around this time, it would have been like the Great Depression era. And he was like, oh, I'll just get to take advantage of this because I'm the only fucking person with money around here. Mm-hmm. I can literally buy everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the whole country was on sale for a little bit. Yeah. So he opened up a general store in town and it's such a small town. No one had to go to any other places. So this store <coughs> sold literally anything you can think of. In the article that Michael Hall wrote in the Texas Monthly, he said it sold everything from caskets to shoes. Oh, so whatever you you want, you go to Mr. Ball's general store and he's got it for you. It's like a modern day thrift shop. Cool. Never know what you're going to find. Don't want to find a casket, that's for sure. Oh, well, all right. To each their own. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Frank is credited with building Elmendorf because it was so small and he was like the man with all of the fucking cash and he was opening up these factories and buying all of the land and had this general store and everything. So it was kind of like he didn't you know, found the town or anything like that. But he was responsible for like everyone there and their employment. Exactly. Yeah. So he was credited for like building it. So Frank and Elizabeth raised their eight children in Elmendorf and they lived in the first stone home that was built in the area. Starting to think it's not just one ball now. Oh, there's a few (laughs) balls. A couple pairs of balls. (laughs) The children all had a really good life, obviously, if you're the son of the richest family (laughs) (laughs) no kidding i love how i equate money to happiness right there okay well you know what if money doesn't buy happiness it sure as fuck makes it easier to find it i think money would buy me a lot of happiness to be honest yeah so they all grew up to be really successful um like most of them (laughs) frank ball jr worked for the school district and became a trustee in 1914 Raymond Ball opened his own grocery store 
1926, he married a local teacher named Jane Terrell, who was later appointed by President Roosevelt. Jane Terrell Ball? She seems to be an independent, strong woman who kept her own last name. Oh, good for her. Uh, she was appointed by President Roosevelt in 1940 <coughs> as postmaster, and she served the community for 27 years. That's cool. Go, Jane. Yeah. So, Emmendorf was incorporated in 1963, and the first mayor was Raymond Ball. So, mm. it's just uh, balls run the town. <laughs> that got you this time. Because <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> so, yeah, Joe's, Joe Ball's siblings were all, like, pretty successful. Pretty cool people. Joe Ball was the second child of the eight and throughout his childhood, he just, like, kept to himself. He rarely participated in activities or anything to do with the other kids. He just wanted to sort of be alone. He liked to go outdoors and explore and go fishing and stuff. He just was really, like, a lone wolf. Mm -hmm. As a teenager, he was really passionate about guns. Oh, and, good. Yeah, he loved them. He would spend any, like, spare second he had, like, practicing, shooting, perfecting his skills, everything like that. He was like, fuck all my guns. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good hobby for a teenager to have because you know what? <laughs> you, you already got this lone wolf kid. He's on his own. He's obviously comfortable with himself. Mm -hmm. You know, name one time that a loner kid with a gun was bad news. <laughs> <laughs> It's so <laughs> sad how that's a valid point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It for, turned also, from a joke to satire. Of, of people that just flashed through my head. I know. I was like, yeah, go ahead. Pick one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm all of those. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I could get them out of my head. Mm. Well, the first one was Dylan Roof with a stupid fucking bowl cut hair. Dylan uh, from Columbine? No. Oh, okay. Mine was called by. <laughs> I went, Ugh. Dylan Klebold. Klebold was <coughs> Columbine and Eric Harris. Dylan Roof is the one that has like the blondish, like bull cut. He like shot up a church, I think. Oh, yeah. I remember that. He looked like a. Fucking he idiot. looked like he lost it. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> okay. A loner with a gun. Okay. In the text. <laughs> Icky. <laughs> I don't know what that was. So, <laughs> we, we just watched the, the Jeffrey Dahmer thing, and maybe oh. you're still stuck with the accent. I don't know. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> he did so well in that, though. Evan Peters did Dahmer so perfectly. That was, that was a, a phenomenal. That's I'm not proud of. That was a phenomenal <laughs> uh, series, actually. It was, because yeah. my, my entry level is only, like, Mindhunter and, mm. like, those series that are like, you know, introducing me to these kind of like well-known serial killers that like I don't really understand yet. Yeah. Like I'm kind of like now I'm able to pick them out and be like, I know who that is yeah. and stuff. But like same level as of quality as like Mindhunter. It was a very, yeah, it was very phenomenal. good show. <clears throat> and when they when they did um, John Wayne Gacy. Yeah, it came out oh. like a few days ago, so don't spoil anything. There's no spoiler in saying that, so just, just go ahead and watch it. Yeah. But they they do like talk about things that are happening around the time, and that shouldn't come as a surprise to you. But mm -hmm. anyways, it's really good, really creepy, definitely worth a watch. It was a well Anyway, done. this is Dyson's uh, 
TV Netflix podcast. So Dyson's thanks for Dahmer take. <laughs> this is my hot Dahmer take. Oh. Welcome to the hot Dom corner. You know how many people probably have a hot Dahmer take, and it's totally different than what we're doing. Yeah, some <laughs> <laughs> fucking freaks. Okay. All right, so in that Texas Monthly article that I've referred to like eight times now, and I'll probably refer to 98 more times, Joe's nephew, Bucky Ball, was, uh, he was an Elmendorf council member, Mm -hmm. and like, that just goes to show, like, the Ball family just ruled Elmendorf, Mm -hmm. but anyway, Bucky Ball said, quote, my uncle could shoot a bird off telephone line with a pistol from the bumper of his Model A Ford. What the fuck? (laughs) That's because we were talking about how good he was with guns. Country bumpkin fucking saying <laughs> I've ever heard. Was it the accent? I probably did it, did it real well. No, I, was, <laughs> I imagined him. I don't even know what he looks like, but now I do. As an adult, Joe was described as good looking in a rugged way. And he was apparently a ladies man. I saw a picture of him. I would not say he's good looking. During the <laughs> First World War... Joe enlisted in the army. He was 21 years old and he was shipped off to the front lines in Europe. There is no record of his actions during the war, but we do know that he was honorably discharged from the army in 1919. Uh, He returned to his hometown of Elmendorf and he worked for his father for a bit, but it really didn't last long. He wasn't like a traditional businessman, you know, whereas his dad is like, Really stereotypically doing stuff like gain my wealth, open a factory, buy some property. Yeah. I don't know what this accent is. (laughs) (laughs) Growing capital. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And Joe's like, cool, cool, cool. Anyway, I don't want to do that. So he was still like business savvy, though. He kind of had that in him, at least. So So he's got like that entrepreneurial spirit without the the, traditional know-how. Yeah. Yeah. So he earned and spent most of his money gambling. And then he quickly realized that there was a career to be had as a bootlegger because it's after the First World War. We are in Prohibition time now. Oh, yeah. Which started just for, you know, fun fact here, January 17th, 1920. Mm. And so there was a huge demand for illegal booze. Yeah. So Joe is like, mm, I'm going to do this. I could be a great bootlegger. Yeah, fuck you, Joe, for picking a cool, <laughs> a cool job in that era. Yeah. Because now I gotta hate you, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not hard. It's not that hard to hate him. Uh, sorry, everyone. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm just gonna pretend that didn't happen. Joe enjoyed his new career, and he'd travel around the area in his Model A Ford, selling people whiskey out of a 50-gallon barrel. A couple years into his illegal ventures, Joe hired a young man named Clifton Wheeler to help with the business. He was, Wheeler was a handyman, handyman by trade, Mm -hmm. and he quickly found himself doing, like, most of the labor for Joe, and, like, pretty much all of the dirty work that had to be done. All right. And, yeah, so, Wheeler kind of, we'll talk about Wheeler more later. Um, After the end of Prohibition, when do you, how, do you know how long Prohibition was? Was it, like, two years? Um, no. Oh. No. <coughs> um, <laughs> eight years? It was thirteen years. Was oh almost, god, I would have killed myself. Almost fourteen. I wouldn't years. have made it to year one. Me neither. I drink every day. Everyone, <laughs> <laughs> we have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
I don't drink. We do not drink every day. <laughs> no, we don't. Um, yeah, it was almost 14 years because it ended December 5th, 1933. That's, ugh, that's so fucking long. I know. To like essentially humor a bunch of like, like snobs. Just <laughs> like really like I this know. bunch of like really lame people just going, yeah, drinking's the devil. And I'd be like, you fucking right. It is dope. It's fucking fun. <laughs> so yeah, it was at the end of Prohibition came in the in 1933, and Joe was like, "Ah, oh, damn it, I need a new career now." Mm. But you know, he he had been bootlegging for a fucking long time, so he had a ton of experience with booze. He had a ton of experience with people. He so he's great de- with guns. So he became a cop. So he decided to become a cop. <laughs> no, he. Okay. This is when he decided to open up his tavern. So he bought a small piece of land outside of Elmendorf on what is now Highway 181, and this is where he built the sociable inn. Mm. So he, you know, designed it all himself. In the back, there was two bedrooms, and up front, there was a bar with a bunch of tables. Uh, There's a player piano and a room with tables where men could drink and occasionally enjoy some casual cockfighting. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, what else do you expect from the ball in? I knew it. It's just all peni joke. <laughs> peni joke. <laughs> Are you done with the testicular jokes? <laughs> um, peen. <laughs> I hope you don't mind the amount of uh, dick and ball jokes that are gonna get gonna be said during this, because if if you do mind, it's gonna get a little testy in here. Ew. <laughs> Singular, though. Singular. Test I. <laughs> so the tavern was the place to be, and it quickly grew in popularity, but Joe thought it was missing something. You know, it's cool to have the player piano. It's cool to have the, the booze and the cockfighting, mm-hmm. but, like, it's obviously missing something. I need something to co- that will attract people to come to my tavern. And what do you think it was? An alligator. A pit. <laughs> A pit. A, a gator pit. Naturally. <laughs> of course. So behind the tavern, Joe had a hole dug. And then he had that hole filled with cement. Then he, yep. then he filled that cement hole with some water. That turned it into a pond. And then <laughs> and then he filled the pond. Yeah. And what, what did he do? Five alligators. Five? Yeah, one like huge one and then four like smaller ones. Okay, well, at least there's like an alpha gator. There's an alpha gator. There's four little hurt followers. And this sounds like a boss fight you'd run into in a video game. (laughs) Five Joe Balls, five alligator bit. (laughs) Sorry, I don't even know what's happening right now. Is there like a lack of oxygen in this room? Maybe. So he yeah put these five alligators into this pit, and he caught them himself. He just like went out nearby in like the low water area, and he just like caught himself five alligators, as one does. He just was a wrangler. Oh my god! So then he erected a ten foot tall fence around the pond, and mm-hmm. voila, gator pit. Yeah, gator pit, <laughs> booze, cockfighting. It's perfect. It's fun. Yeah, it's what you call fun. Yeah. Out here on Highway 81. Well, shit. Did you just lift that off his ad? No, I'm, <laughs> I made it up for him. It's great. You're welcome, Joe Paul. 
So, yeah, it, it fucking worked. People were like, I fucking love this gator pit. <laughs> and like, <laughs> people were there to view it like in, like crazy. So he started to charge people to come in and, and view the gator pit. And people <coughs> were happy to pay because they enjoyed watching the gators. They fucking loved it. And you know what their favorite time was? Feeding time. Well, yeah. It was a daily event, this feeding time. It wasn't like a lowdown, like, I'll slip you some cash if I can watch you, like, feed the gators. It's like, mm-hmm. no, like, it was a fucking spectacle. Yeah. Come in, watch me feed my gators. Saturday, it was the busiest day. I just wanted to say that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was going to say, like, it's feeding time on happy hour, because this is what I would do. What? I would make it so, like, feeding time is during happy hour. Oh my god! Because you gotta get industrial with it. You gotta draw as many people as possible, and then, and then you you have like a contest. You know, you you got like a jar in the front, and it says, "Get guess how many cock beaks are in this jar or whatever." What? And then if you get it right, you get to feed a gator. Okay. Yeah. So Tell now, me you wouldn't want to do that. Well, I'm just upset because we're being really great PR people for Joe. I had a catchy slogan. You have catchy ideas for yeah. the tavern and it's stuff he doesn't deserve. That's true. So we should make our own tavern. Yeah. I don't want a gator pit though. Can we still name it after genitalia of some way? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what, we'll keep the pit. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to, yeah. Some... We'll, we'll shop it we'll shop it mm-hmm. okay so i i end up going off track here because like or my mind was like oh huh, what it just stopped because <laughs> i have a sentence that just says skip ahead 30 seconds or so and i was like why did i write that but i think everyone just right now skip ahead 30 seconds or so if you're like sensitive to like animal cruelty or anything like that because um this next paragraph isn't for everyone okay so skip mm. ahead 30 seconds now if if you don't want the animal cruelty bit in your ear. Dyson, you have no choice. Mm. This is from a book titled The Wild and Free Dukedom of Bexar. Quote, <clears throat> every Saturday night, a drunken orgy occurred. Any wild animal, possum, cat, dog, or any animal without an owner helped make the show a little better. Get drunk, throw an animal in, and watch the alligators. End quote. A similar account was found in some files at the San Antonio Public Library. Quote, the squalling kitten flopped into the pool. A big alligator lifted its jaws, closed like a vice, and the screaming cat was bitten in half. There's more to the, there's more to come, my pets, Big Joe Ball shouted as the drink-crazed crowd roared in appreciation, and he next tossed a puppy into the bloody pool. Well, now I'm glad we have other entertainment <laughs> resources like Netflix so that we don't resort to shit like that. No kidding. No kitten. Their food consisted mostly of horse meat, but as a special treat for his precious pets, he would feed them live cats and dogs. Like, what? Okay, no I, one wants to see that. Well, they clearly do. They're like, paying to see it. People back then were fucked. It was the Depression era, okay? It was the Great Depression. People were depressed. They were greatly depressed. They were lashing out. They are lashing out on all of the innocent pets it's i hope people are have maybe you've joined us if you skipped ahead 30 seconds hello hi hi there so you know don't say anything that will upset the people yeah you know what you guys i just <laughs> hug your pets for me okay kiss your little cats on their stinky head yeah maybe it's just my cat that has a stinky head i don't know why the top of his head is so stinky <laughs> <laughs> stink is like one of my favorite words it's so funny <laughs> why are you stinky <laughs> God, we're slap happy. 
this this fucked up. So he would tell the patrons of the tavern that another special treat he would feed to his alligators was women. But of course, he was only joking. Like, <laughs> so funny, Joe. Like, Joe was actually really protective of his pet alligators. He would never feed them women. He was so protective. Yeah, you can't give your can't give your alpha alligators estrogen. No, it's crazy talk. <laughs> he was like, so protective of his alligators that there was this neighbor that he had. It was a um, a policeman named Elton Crude, and Elton was like complaining to joe like yo your fucking gator pit stinks like there is a stench coming from it i don't know if it's rotten meat or what but your property smells like shit Mm -hmm. and joe threatened him with a pistol and explained that it was probably just the gator's food and that he should mind his own business Mm. like waving a pistol around he had an another neighbor that was so threatened by joe that he packed up his family one night and just moved out of state no explanation, just disappeared into the night with, to get away from Joe. Okay. So he probably fucking threatened that guy, too. <clears throat> you know how I know something's obviously wrong now? Mm-hmm. He didn't default to, well, it's stagnant water. Yeah, or like it's he, gators or like smelly or something. He's like, no, it's just a special gator food. It's their food, okay? Mind your business. So yeah, if it's not obvious enough already, Joe kind of had a temper. Mm-hmm. And it extended to pretty much everyone that he encountered, including his employees, who were pretty much all like these young and beautiful women that he hired as waitresses and barmaids. And these women like would kind of just put up with it because they were desperate for work. Again, it was like the Great Depression. Yeah. So they were like, fuck, it's a job, even though Joe is a piece of work. Mm-hmm. So in 1934, Joe met a woman named Minnie... Um, Ga- Gotard. Gotard? Gotard? Goddard? Goddard? Let's go with Goddard. Goddard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Minnie Goddard. But people just called her Big Minnie, so All right. would call her Big Minnie. Side note, if someone called me Big Brianna, I think I would cry. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a little different. <laughs> you know, like, you know what, though? Like, I bet Big Minnie had the best fucking food if she cooked it. Mmm. Probably. Are yep. <laughs> you just sitting now? You're just uh, thinking of food. Yeah. I was trying to think of in Texas, like, what is like a Texas food? Gator meat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah, Big Mini. No one call me Big Brianna. I will cry. <laughs> I will I will throw hands for something like that. <laughs> uh, so, Joe's friends didn't really like Big Mini. They were like, yo, she's overbearing and kind of like loathsome. I hate her. Mm. And Joe was like, fuck you guys. I like her. And they began dating. <laughs> and they were like a pretty good couple. They <coughs> even began running the tavern together. Three years later, in 1937, uh, Joe fell for Dolores Goodwin. This was okay. one of the younger waitresses. And the feeling was apparently mutual. So <clears throat> he began dating Dolores, who people called Buddy. <sighs> Which I don't really like. To me, Buddy is like a dude's nickname. That's 100% a dude's nickname. But, There's even that book, Bud Not Buddy, which I loved. I've never heard of it, but I'm glad you loved it. Yeah, I grew up with that book. It's I just like think of like... my core memories. Have you ever seen Uncle Buck? Yeah. So, Buddy is like this weirdo, creepy dude in the bowling alley that like keeps hitting on Tia, who's like the daughter. Oh, right. It's like Buck's niece. Yep. Um, <laughs> I think it's Buddy. Wait, maybe people call him Pal. 
I don't even know. I think it is buddy. I just hate it. That's the type of guy I think of if someone is yep. like buddy. Just a creeper. So, yeah. So he's like dating Big Minnie. They're running the bar together. But then he like falls in love with one of his young waitresses named Dolores or Buddy. Um, They're dating. And then that same year, so 1937, there is another waitress that starts working there. Her name is Hazel Brown. And she was, like, really confident. She's independent, beautiful. And, you know, Joe falls in love with her, too. So he has these three women Mm -hmm. all working together uh, at this tavern that he's, like, dating. Oh, is this a sitcom? So it was, like, super complicated (laughs) at the sociable sitcom. Yep. And then during the summer, so we're in 1937 still. It was like almost a blessing to Joe when Big Minnie just kind of disappeared. Oh, I don't like that. Do you like horror movies? Do you like hanging out with your buddy? Do you like cracking jokes and having a good time? Do you just like fun? Well, consider checking out Spoils of Horror. We are an hour-long podcast that comes out every single week. We're not doing reviews. We're just going to hang out, talk about the movies we love with each other, and hopefully the ones you love too. Covering everything from the popular, the lost, the forgotten, and the bizarre. If you're looking for a good podcast and a good time, you're going to want to check us out. We're on all major podcasting platforms, and you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. Check it out. We'll see you there. Big Minnie was reported missing by worried family members in September of 1937. So they hadn't heard from her in a couple of months. I believe it was since June. So the whole summer. They hadn't heard from her. And she just kind of seemed to vanish off the fucking face of the earth. And since Minnie worked at Joe's tavern, the police questioned him. So Joe claimed that Minnie was pregnant and she was in a Corpus Christi hospital giving birth to a, quote, black baby. Oh. Yeah. And All right. Corpus Christi is, like, another Texas city. I think it's, like, two hours south or something. Mm. So he was like, oh, yeah, like, whatever. She She's pregnant. She's, like, in the hospital giving birth to a black baby. And the police were like, okay, Joe. But they weren't really able to find any. Thing. There was no substantial evidence of any kind. He was cleared of any involvement in her disappearance. Mm. Even though the police were like, he's kind of a dick. He's a weirdo. But, like, you know, it's not illegal to be weird. Yeah. So they were satisfied that he seemed to, you know, not know anything about where she went. And they moved on. So it was around the same time that Minnie's friends and family reported her missing that Joe married Dolores. So one of his girlfriends, Mm -hmm. he told Dolores that Minnie didn't flee town with her baby. He had uh, told Dolores that he had taken her to a local beach, shot her in the head and buried her in the sand. Dolores just was like, what the fuck ever? And just kind of dismissed it. (laughs) Get out of here. You're crazy, man. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Fucking crazy, man. Crazy, dude. And they just never talked about it again. All right. With each other anyway. Yeah. It is believed that Dolores 
would talk with like Hazel, who was the other girlfriend, mm-hmm. and be like, something's weird here. He mm-hmm. told me this and I'm kind of afraid, but like she never mentioned that to Joe. Oh, okay. Uh, so a few months later, so January 1938, Dolores was involved in a really, really bad car accident, which resulted in the amputation of her left arm. Whoa. Yeah. So of course, Dolores is like married to Joe, who mm-hmm. owns this tavern that has an alligator pit. So everyone was like, oh, she totally like got her arm torn off by an alligator. And like rumors would just swirl around that. Like, did she do something to make Joe mad? Did he like stick her arm in the pit and make her like make the alligators bite the arm off? What happened? Like, we know it was an alligator that bit it off. <laughs> right. Meanwhile, she's like, fuck all of you. I was in a really terrible car accident and yeah. I had to get it amputated. Yeah. But like, that's not fun, right? Yeah. Yeah. So people are like, oh, I bet it was an alligator. Small town, you know, you gotta have uh, big stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, these rumors are circulating, like, oh, it was an alligator that bit her arm off. And then Dolores mysteriously vanished. So, Another mysterious car crash. Yeah. So, it had <laughs> kind of like fed into those rumors swirling of like, oh, I wonder what she did to make Joe mad that he like stuck her arm in that pit. Mm-hmm. And now she's gone. So, they're like, uh oh. She's just disappeared. That Joe had a hand in it. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. So that was in April that she disappeared. So it was like four months after her arm was amputated. And then not long after she disappeared, Hazel also went missing. So it was weird because Hazel had just opened up a bank account like two days before she went missing. Mm -hmm. And when she has just, you know, left disappeared into thin air <coughs> she didn't take any of the money with her that she had put in that bank account so immediately that's suspicious so yeah. now all three of his wives <coughs> girlfriends mistresses whatever you want to call them they're all d- vanished now so the police were that's got to be such a giant red flag well yeah and the like police demonstrating intent to stay by opening the account none of the money's gone mm-hmm. you know. yeah yeah like, and, like, Joe always has a reason for why these women leave. But it's like, okay, well, if they were leaving town or whatever, she likely would have taken that money with her. Mm-hmm. Why would she, if she's going to, like, go leave, start new somewhere, kind of need money to do that. Yeah. And it's the Great Depression. Yeah, you, you definitely need the money. Money, you want to keep that money because you're yeah. already in, like, these dire straits. Yeah. And you're like, I have money. Like, oh, it's like my precious <laughs> <laughs> possession. Yeah. So, yeah, the police were like, mm, Joe, I don't like this at all. Like, we are super suspicious of you. And they didn't <laughs> they didn't believe that this many women in his life just would leave. I'm imagining a cop saying that to him right to his face. Ah, <laughs> oh, Joe, we don't like this. I'm super <laughs> suspicious of you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I would say. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> super suspicious of you. So, yeah, they're like, there's this many women in your life. And all of them are just leaving, like, you know, either just, he says, like, oh, they just, like, left to go and start new jobs, or or they went on, Yeah, because like, there's so many jobs. I know, they just left <laughs> to go start a new job, or they just went on a trip. Um, the police are like, yeah, okay, these are, like, red flags left, right, and center. Also, um, they're not leaving with any of their belongings. They're not taking, like, their clothes with them. We already know they're not taking money with them. Mm-hmm. So the local police were, like, they felt way in over their head they didn't have the resources or whatever to keep going after joe 
questioning them. Mm-hmm. So they handed the cases of the missing women over to the Texas Rangers. Oh, shit. So the Texas Rangers started their investigation, and their first step was to compile a list of Joe's current and former employees, just to essentially like track them all down to be like, okay, what is the scope of <coughs> people we're dealing with? How many people are has have there been that worked for him? How many people still work for him, used to work for him? Let's just make sure we can find all of these people so we know how many missing women we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. So most of the um, employees, not just women, like so far it's missing women, but like obviously there was men that worked for him too, but. Right. Um, yeah, so they found most of the employees alive and they accounted for them. And in a lot of cases, these People did leave town, and as Elmendorf is this tiny little town, um, they did leave to go to like a bigger city like San Antonio or something to mm-hmm. work. But there was about a dozen women that they couldn't find, and this included like the former girlfriends and wives. So, right. So even though Joe is saying, "Well, the, yeah, they left in the night to go to the big city, or they left to go work here, or they went on a trip, or they went to see their sister, or whatever," mm-hmm. they're like, "Okay, well, we can't even find them." So yeah, they're just. <laughs> completely, completely disappeared. Mm-hmm. So there was a list of people who were accounted for and people who were missing. And according to Joe, he, you know, he's a man with an answer for everything. So when it came to his wives, he was like, oh, well, they just ran out on me. You know, we know women. Oh, my God. <laughs> so things are like all over the place at this tavern. You got Joe. He's kind of you know, loony. He's got wicked mood swings. Uh, there's this crazy tavern. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's missing women. It's just hitting the fan left, right, and center. And the only constant thing that Joe had in his life that he he could count on and was there for him and was never unpredictable was his alligators. Oh, good. He loved them. Yeah. And he always had fresh meat for them. Fresh meat to feed them, show off to his patrons, and why do you think that was? Uh, because he kept feeding them quote unquote meat. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He was feeding his alligators the butchered remains of these missing women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. So it wasn't just a joke when he's like telling the patrons that so like uh, most serial killers will dig a shallow grave they'll use a crawl space they'll dump bodies in remote areas in in rural places rivers whatever Mm -hmm. but no you got joe ball yeah who is shooting these women dismembering them and then feeding their remains to his alligators while the patrons of his tavern are paying to watch. And he's joking with them that this is women that he's feeding them. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm just kidding. I would never do that. I love them so much. <laughs> I would. I love these animals so much. I would never feed them women. He's just hiding in plain sight. Yes. Yeah. Meanwhile, he's literally charging people to watch, hi- to watch him feed the alligators women. <laughs> yeah. It's so yeah. fucking... It's creepy and brazen and gross and just horrific. <clears throat> I just can't imagine how, like, were the like, how did how did he even do that? Like, 
he's just like, yeah, it's just indistinguishable meat. meat. Like someone would have looked at that and been like, that looks like a hand. Well, <laughs> I I don't think it was like that obvious. It was probably like pieces. And I know it's a giant alligator, but he's not feeding them like a leg. That makes it so much like, grosser he's though. He's them. He's hacking them up and feeding it meat. Same <laughs> way you would feed them like a chunk of beef or something. That makes it so gross though. Like a whole new element of like him just like obviously like discovering and then like butchering. Mm-hmm. The yeah. butcher of Elmendorf. Yeah. 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 You know, Joe might have felt like he was hiding in plain sight and outsmarting the Texas Rangers and just kind of getting away with all the fuckery taking place at his tavern. But people were watching him, specifically Big Minnie's family, who weren't ready to just give up on her. Nice. In mid-1938, so about a year since Minnie was last heard from, her family began to ask questions again. They were still unable to locate her, and they sought help from the Bexar County Sheriff's Office. Since Joe was Minnie's last known employer and lover, like they were dating, he was questioned on several occasions. Mm -hmm. But time and time again, he was dismissed as a suspect. The Texas Rangers questioned Joe relentlessly, but he gave them nothing. He was, like, super cool under pressure and couldn't be definitively linked to her disappearance at all because he wouldn't give them anything. Mm-hmm. He would just, like, play it. He was super laid back and just play it, like, he's obviously not dumb either. He's like, well, I know you have nothing, and you just want me to slip up and say something. So he's, he's just wholly confident in the fact that, like, I fed her to the alligator, so there's zero evidence. Hmm. Well, Well, he thinks that. Mm, mm, We'll see on all fronts. All right. So nothing was really changing with him. More waitresses were going missing, even though he's under fire, really. Mm -hmm. People are watching him. He doesn't care. Waitresses are going missing. There was a 23-year-old woman named Julia Turner who was reported missing by her family. Sheriff's deputies were back at the sociable inn. And again, Joe claimed that she left for another job. Mm. The deputies were obviously like, ugh. We keep hearing this story. Yeah. So we don't accept that that's the truth, but they didn't have anything to prove any sort of foul play or implicate him in her disappearance. So again, they were empty handed. It's so frustrating because at that point, they probably like they they know. Yeah. So that's literally the next note. They were fucking frustrated (coughs) and they knew that they couldn't believe his stories because Mm -hmm. it like I said, it was the same situation over and over again. All these women are just disappearing into thin air and he's saying that they all just left for new jobs but it's really weird because these women are telling nobody except joe mm-hmm. like they they're working there they have <clears throat> friends there they have family obviously who the family is the one reporting the missing so they're yeah. in contact with them yet each one of these women is telling nobody except joe yeah like so the police and deputies rangers everyone they're like this doesn't fucking make any sense obviously he knows way more than what he's saying Mm -hmm. so deputies were like okay julia 
is missing. We know that she shares a home with this other woman. They were roommates at, at this house. So they're like, let's go and search the house and just see if we can find anything. So when they go there, they discover that she didn't take any of her clothes or belongings with her. Again, same as Hazel, who had opened up that bank account, never took money. Mm-hmm. So again, they're like, suspicious. <laughs> suspicious, she leaves guys. to continue her life somewhere else, but doesn't take anything. Doesn't yep. make any fucking sense. So they go back to the tavern and have a little word with Joe. And of course he has an answer for this. <clears throat> He's like, oh, oops. Julia didn't leave to get a new job. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I've just suddenly remembered that Julia actually got into an argument with her roommate. And she didn't want to go home. So, you know, she just kind of sat here and talked with me. She was really anxious. She kind of seemed desperate to get away. So I'm just like such a nice guy. I'm such a great dude. I gave her $500 to get away for a while. 500 bucks, you know, 500 smackaroos, no big mm-hmm. deal. Just help a gal out. Yeah. Yeah. So Help the her disappear. Deputies are probably just standing there with their hands on their hips, staring at him like, you're fucking so full of shit, dude. But again, they had nothing. Yep. He's like, they know. But like, what are you supposed to do? Just be like, you're a liar. Let's go. Not without any sort of evidence. So for the millionth <laughs> time, they're like leaving the tavern with nothing. Yeah. So it was like during the next few months and, you know, two more of his waitresses go missing. It was the same song and dance, you know, sheriff's deputies going to Joe again, questioning him relentlessly. And, you know, he continues to maintain he doesn't know anything. They left for new jobs, blah, 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 blah. There's no evidence. There's no leads to follow. The girls are added to this growing list Mm -hmm. of missing women in Joe's life. And he just gets to walk free because there's nothing. Yep. Other than suspicion. Yeah. But finally, on September 23rd, 1938, Joe's luck began to run out. Oh. So there's this old neighbor that came forward and they told investigators that on an evening a couple years ago, he uh, saw Joe chopping up a woman's body and tossing it into the pit to feed the alligators. Oh, he saw that. Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, it's kind of him to mention that. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you know what? That jogged my memory. (laughs) The other time I saw. So literally, what you're saying is how investigators were reacting. They're just sitting there like, what the fuck do we do next? Do we trust that this guy is telling us the truth? Do we just get frustrated that it's been two years since this guy saw that and he never said anything? But it was one of those neighbors that had fled town terrified. Oh. Yeah. So they're kind of sitting there like, what the fuck do we even do next? Tell me they got a warrant for the alligator. Another guy came to the sheriff's, uh, the, the deputy sheriff, a guy named, the sheriff's name is John Gray. So this guy. Most normal name. So John far. Gray. John Gray. So yeah, while the uh, deputies and stuff are trying to figure out what the fuck to even do next, the, uh, they get this like little blessing. This guy comes to John Gray. He says, um, I was dove hunting in Elmendorf <laughs> and I found this foul smelling barrel that was just covered in flies and it was behind Joe's sister's barn. It smelled like something was dead inside. So that following morning, deputy John Gray and John Clevenhagen Cle- <laughs> Clevenhagen, yeah. Clevenhagen. I don't know, sorry. Uh 
they go to the barn to investigate. Uh, sadly, the barrel's gone. But mm. they talk to Joe's sister. They're like, yo, we had, we heard there was a, a barrel that smelled like something was dead inside. And Joe's sister is like, <coughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was definitely a gross, stinking barrel here. But, like, Joe just came and took it. Oh. So deputies were like, fuck's sakes. Guess where we're going. Back to the tavern. We're going back, back to, to the Joe. tavern to talk to Joe. Pay him another visit. Ask about that stinky barrel. <laughs> so deputies, Gray and Cleveland Hagen arrive at the bar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Two deputies walk into a bar. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's not funny. It's not funny. Okay. So they get to the bar. Yeah. The tavern. And they inform Joe that they're taking him in for questioning. They have some questions about the stinky barrel. <laughs> so Joe's like, fine, whatever. But let me close the tavern first. Yeah. So the deputies are kind of just sitting around the bar waiting. Joe grabbed a beer and slammed it down. Just looked at them. Mm-hmm. And then he walks over to his cash register and he pressed the no sale button. So it made the drawer pop open and he reached inside and grabbed a 45 caliber revolver. He waved it at the deputies who were yelling like, don't like, don't use that. Mm-hmm. And Joe pointed it at his heart, pulled the trigger and fell dead on the barroom floor with a fist sized hole in his chest. And he died instantly. What the fuck? Mm hmm. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. He shot himself in the own cockles. Oh, my God. <laughs> he, so, yeah, he dies instantly, which means that he doesn't have to answer for anything. Yeah. He avoids all consequences. And, I mean, that's the most frustrating part. Uh, so, deputies from all over the region were soon going over every square inch of Joe's bar. Joe's dead now. They can't go to him for any answers, which, I mean, sucks. But think about how many times they were going to the bar. Mm-hmm. They were going there questioning him all the time. Yeah. And he was never giving them anything. So I don't really know how much they would have gotten from him. But at least now he's, you know, he's dead. He's out of the way so they can get into this bar, get into the property and start figuring out what the fuck is going on. Yeah. So they're searching the bar, they're searching the property, near the gator pit, everything. They discover uh, rotten meat all over the gator pond. And they find an axe that has matted blood and hair in it. Oh, okay. And, you know, their initial theory was that Joe had mutilated his victims and fed them to alligators. Yeah. And it doesn't seem that far-fetched. When you think about everything. Yeah. Like like how everything was suggesting that's exactly what he did. He literally was saying that's what he was doing. <clears throat> yeah. The sheer horror of the situation was setting in and Deputy Sheriff John Gray wanted answers. Investigators knew that Joe's handyman, Clifton Wheeler, who we very briefly mentioned in the beginning, mm-hmm. they knew that he was probably the only living person that could help them. So after securing the scene at the bar... Uh, deputies Gray and Clevenhagen picked up Wheeler, took him in for questioning. Wheeler initially denied having any knowledge of what happened to the missing women, but he was there like all day mm-hmm. being questioned. And as the day wore on, he finally admitted to his involvement. So Wheeler said that he lived in fear of Joe and that whenever Joe was drunk, which was often, 
-hmm. He would blow off steam by shooting at Wheeler's feet, making him, quote, dance the jitterbug. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. This this dude's like a classic villain. Yeah, he's evil. Yeah. And everyone in town said that Wheeler was like a really nice guy. He was super sweet. He was very helpful. He was very generous. And they all corroborated that he was afraid of Joe. Mm -hmm. And he had been involved with him for years. He had been involved with him since Joe was a bootlegger. Yeah. And so he was kind of like stuck with him. Um, he then, Wheeler, then explained that Joe's girlfriend at the time, Hazel Brown, who's one of the missing women, mm-hmm. had fallen in love with another man. Um, I guess this man was a patron, a regular patron at the tavern, and he was like really rich, he was really good looking, <clears throat> and he was really, really sweet. Mm. And Hazel was like this gorgeous young woman who was trying to make a living during the great depression yeah. and this guy she fell for this guy who was in love with her too and he she wanted to get out of the tavern get away from elmendorf go and start a nice life with this nice man and joe was like i'm not having any of that so mm-hmm. he was already kind of like realizing okay like hazel is totally into this guy and i kind of think that she's gonna leave me for him mm-hmm. And he was teetering on the edge with that. And then Hazel pushed him over the edge because she accused Joe of murdering Big Minnie. And that's when he just absolutely lost it and mm. murdered her. Jesus. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so to verify his story, investigators wanted to see proof. So they were like, okay, Wheeler, let's go. You got to show us where Joe has disposed of Hazel's body because you're saying you know that he murdered her because he lost his temper with her. Mm-hmm. And you were saying you're involved, so let's go. So the following day, Wheeler took investigators to an isolated spot near the San Antonio River and began to dig in this spot that had loose soil. And after a few minutes of digging, blood began <laughs> oozing up from the ground. What? Followed by this horrendous smell, which was so intolerable that pretty much everyone there started vomiting immediately oh my god yeah so wheeler (laughs) keeps digging eventually he pulls up two arms two legs and a torso and investigators are like cool 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 but like where's her head where's the rest of her and wheeler like points over um to the campfire Mm -hmm. and investigators look through it and they found hazel's jawbone some of her teeth and pieces of her skull. Oh. So they burnt her head in a fire. <coughs> so investigators cordoned off the scene. Uh, Wheeler said that after a long night of heavy drinking, Joe had asked him to gather up some blankets and some booze. And afterwards, the two took Joe's car and picked up a 55-gallon barrel from Joe's sister's barn. Mm. And drove down to the river. And then Wheeler claimed that Joe forced him at gunpoint to dig a grave and open the barrel. Oh, so God. Joe or Wheeler had said that at first he was really resistant. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to be a part of this, but Joe's crazy, Joe's drunk, and he has a gun. Yeah. So he does open the barrel, and inside is Hazel's body. And he again was like, I don't want to do this. He initially, he says that he refused to 
help get rid of her because that meant dismembering her, Mm -hmm. which is what Joe wanted to do. So he's refusing to dismember the corpse. He says that Joe was finally like fucking fine. So started to dismember Hazel's body himself. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he was fucking wasted. So in his drunken stupor, he was like having, quote, a difficult time sawing off the limbs. Ew. So Wheeler was forced to hold them down so that Joe could keep sawing through them. Mm-hmm. Because they're kind of just flying around everywhere. So whenever the two started to get ill from the stench, because she was just in this barrel for God knows how long, they would take a break and drink more beer so that they could both just keep getting wasted and not have to really face what they were doing. Yeah. And then when the dismemberment was finally complete, Wheeler said that they buried the corpse in the sand and threw her head on the campfire. That's so fucked up. It's fucking heinous and just like the visualization of it all is nightmarish mm-hmm. like especially because it's on a beach yeah like i love going to the beach it's so nice and beautiful and you think of a beach you instantly think of like relaxation a vacation a space to get away tan drinks of beer whatever mm-hmm. you don't think of dismembering your girlfriend yeah it's fucking horrible. And the fact that they dismembered her just to bury her is creepy. And if it was yeah. because you wanted to hide any sort of way to identify her, why not just kick her head and burn it then? Why do you have to dismember all of her body if you're just going to bury it? Like, it's gross. Yeah. yeah it, <laughs> I was wondering, like, maybe because... They like, were taking ho- parts to feed the alligator? Yeah. Yeah, that would make sense. I don't really know what uh, why else. <coughs> well, the only other thing I was thinking was dig like if it's on the hole? beach that like maybe like they were hoping that if you don't dig a super deep hole, the water takes some of it. I don't know. Like, I know it's so odd. It's like fucking I wouldn't weird. I wouldn't bet money that it's just gonna wash away everything. No, like, and beaches are populated, right? That's why it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, the only thing that makes sense to me is that you had to dismember if you if we're talking about the whole body. Like, because you were dismembering the whole body, you were taking pieces away to feed your alligators, or you didn't want to have to dig a giant hole. But in this case, all the energy you're going to be using to dismember a body, you could just be dig- digging. Like, it's so fucking weird. <coughs> Maybe but I, they then just... again, also, how are we, like, <laughs> trying to rationalize this? Yeah, this is, it's, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> the only other thing that I was thinking was like maybe maybe that like they can't they were like so drunk and lazy that they were just like I don't I don't even want to like try and dig like a legitimate hole. Can we just go to the beach? <laughs> like, yeah. But like, they're already there. They were already at the beach. Yeah. That was like the whole point. It was planned to go to the beach. Maybe their initial plan was to like burn the whole body, but they realized how long it was taking, so they only did the head and buried the rest. I don't yeah, know. That's a good idea, yeah. So deputies are like, hmm, okay, Wheeler, you seem to know a lot about Hazel's disappearance and death. Talk to us about Minnie. What do you know about Big Minnie's disappearance? Yeah. 
So Wheeler is like, okay, so one day Joe tells me to pack up the Model A, which is the Ford, mm-hmm. to like pack it up, stock it full of whiskey and beer. And then Joe drove us, us as in Joe, Wheeler, and Minnie, to Ingleside. And Ingleside is this like little tiny town. It's about two hours southeast of Elmendorf. Okay. So, you know, Joe drives us there. He finds this secluded area and we're like drinking. We're drinking all day. And we, Joe waits until Minnie is distracted and then he shoots her in the temple. Oh, just fucking point blank, cold blood like that. Mm-hmm. So Wheeler said that Joe killed her because she was pregnant and it it wasn't... You know, that he she was pregnant with a black baby, like he was trying to say to two detectives earlier, mm-hmm. which is obviously just a gross attempt to make her look bad because it's like 30s in Texas. And yeah, to, to be like, oh, she's a white woman pregnant with a black baby. It's yeah. like today. Whoop de do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just like, yeah. And cool, good for that. Uh, but, you know, <coughs> in the 30s and you're someone as prestigious or wealthy, whatever, as Joe, mm-hmm. you can make, you can put a spin on that. That's unpleasant. So she wasn't pregnant with a black baby. She was pregnant with Joe's baby. But remember at that time, Joe had two other girlfriends. Mm-hmm. So he didn't want Minnie to be pregnant with his child. He did not want anything to further complicate the relationships he had with mm-hmm. these other two women. So at this point, he was getting really, really close to Dolores um and remember after minnie goes missing he marries dolores like right away right yeah so minnie's pregnant and this is his way to get rid of her and then it's just extra gross that after she's gone he has to try and make her look bad it's just a full move for control yes absolutely yeah so wheeler this is what wheeler's telling them she was pregnant it was joe's baby he didn't want it he wanted to be with dolores he shot her and killed her so uh, the that's why Wheeler was invited to this, so that when Joe killed Delor- uh, Minnie, sorry, he could make Wheeler help him bury her in the sand. And then they do that, and they just drive back to the bar. Thank God. You know, like, it would be only a matter of time, to, too, until, like, Wheeler was next. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, insane. Police went to the area that Wheeler says this all happened at Mm -hmm. so that they could search for Minnie's body. So they took heavy machinery and they hired local laborers to use the machinery and and dig in the sand to find her body. And there was like a ton of people who had nothing better to do, like up to 100 people who just came and watched the dig. Every time. Old timey one. Yeah. Every old timey one. Do you just think of the Hall Mills murder? Yes. Yeah. Yep. So, <laughs> this was entertainment to them. They're like, oh, fuck yeah, let's go watch them dig up the beach. So, it was, like, so busy that local merchants had set up stands to sell, like, cold drinks and stuff. Again. Exactly like yep. Cole Mills Murder, which was episode seven. I don't remember. What I think it was episode seven. I trust your... Series. I trust your... It was... That's Pig Woman. It's one of Dyson's all-time favorite characters. She's my favorite character still. <laughs> check, out that, check that out after this if you haven't. So, yeah, it was bumping. You know, people are freaks. I have nothing better to do. Go watch a body dig. 
Finally, on October 14th, 1938, they found Minnie's partially decomposed remains buried in the sand. Mm. So even though it had been a couple of years, the sand um, is cold, especially for how deep they buried her. Mm-hmm. So it the cold, deep sand kind of preserved her. Oh. So as soon as they excavated her body, they, it was really obvious that it was Minnie. Mm-hmm. So the police quest continued to question Wheeler about other missing women, but he was like real steadfast in saying he only knew about and helped with Hazel and Minnie's bodies mm-hmm. and their deaths. So he didn't he doesn't know anything about any of the other women. So yeah. meanwhile, back at Joe's bar, because this had been a crime scene for a while, going through the gator pit, going through the tavern, everything like that. Um, Chief Deputy Sheriff J.W. Davis uh, was looking through the bar and finds this scrapbook that has a bunch of letters and photos belonging to dozens of women. So he is hopeful that these photos would lead to the discovery of more victims mm-hmm. because Joe seems to have this creepy little like trophy book of yeah. random women. But it's devastating because nothing came of this. Oh, fuck. But it's definitely something to, like, think about. <clears throat> well, yeah, because, I mean, like, just, this entire case is a matter of, like, we're pretty sure you fucking did it. Like, we're coming here all the time. There's really no doubt. It's just a matter of catching you now mm-hmm. for so long. And then they really weren't even able to, like, catch him, catch him until, like, he fucking offed himself like a coward and then the only reason they have anything is because of cliff of clifton wheeler yeah and then there's the like what was it It was like 12 right you said like (laughs) missing women total yeah when the texas rangers took over and their first step of their investigation was to compile a list of current and former employees they pretty much tracked everyone down but they had about 12 women the exact number is reported differently yeah um, so like, it's from the 30s, so. Yeah, but like, I mean, story back then, fill in the blanks, right? Yeah. yeah. And also that's women that worked for him. Just <coughs> to say that he wasn't involved with or taking advantage of and murdering women who didn't work for him. Yeah, like what, like someone comes to town. Someone comes through, t- it's a small little town. It's like, it's right on the highway. Mm-hmm. So it's on its way to San Antonio. So it's mostly a town that people pass through, but it is one of those towns where it's like, oh, like a tavern, like let's stop here, let's eat, let's drink, uh, spend the night, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so he would have had encounters with tons of women, women who were there for employment, mm-hmm. women who were there with other people, women who just stop in, mm-hmm. local women even, who could have been like staying in the area or whatever, like doesn't necessarily have to be women that worked for him. It just... The basis of the investigation was going off of a list created of former and current employees. Yeah. Because those were the ones that were, like, widely reported of missing. So, but yeah, it's just, like, something important to, like, think about. Like, it doesn't necessarily have to be women that work for him. Yeah. Uh, Sadly, like, the exact number of his victims remains unknown since he took his, he took all his secrets to the grave. Yeah. Um, and Clifton Wheeler's like, sorry, I only know about these two. And to his credit, he came clean about it and led them to the bodies and stuff. Yeah. He's still like, 
people in the community can be like, he was a really nice guy. He's really generous, whatever. But like, you still did this. Yeah, you I, still did it. I know you can be afraid of somebody and coerced into dynamics or something but... we'll never understand, but yeah. it's still a horrible thing. Man, like if someone was like a gun, like one, this guy was treating you like dog shit and like was trying to hold this power over you and like he was just completely making you forget that you had all the power over him because mm-hmm. he forced you to at gunpoint to bury someone and now you know where the grave is and you didn't go to the cops and say he forced me by gunpoint to bury this body i will show you and also it's his fucking girlfriend so you know it's fucking him that did it maybe it's because he's black in the 1930s oh well, yeah, no, you know what? That's about it. Yeah, yeah. that would that would answer that. Did I say that? Did I no, say- I did not know that. Oh, shit! <laughs> Clifton Wheeler was a black man. Okay. Well, yeah. Now I fully understand yeah. why he said nothing. Yeah. Because they would have a hundred percent been happy to just blame if it on him. He, so, like, he could have gone to the cops and been like, <laughs> "Yum, you know, Joe Ball is the one with the Gator Pit." Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like he totally fed two of his girlfriends to those gators, <coughs> or like, well, this nice white man business <laughs> owner. Are you kidding me, son? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, he didn't feed two those two to the gators. He buried those on the beach. But yeah, could have buried, could have fed other women. But yeah, I think that's the main reason with Clifton Wheeler is that he Joe is a rich white man mm-hmm. who's extorting essentially clifton wheeler to be this laborer to do this dirty work for him being his like partner in crime so to say since his bootlegging days Mm -hmm. um it's like a really complicated dynamic yeah uh again not to mention like his he's from the family that built this fucking town exactly yeah the whole thing is just it's just chaos all of it is just this hectic situation but I mean, you did still help murder. Uh, well, he didn't help murder them, but he oh, did help Barry. hide the evidence. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like I said, the exact number of Joe's victims is unknown. He's known to have killed the two women, Hazel and Minnie. And some say that Joe probably killed up to 20 women between 1936 and 1938, making him one of the first modern day serial killers, if that's true. Oh, my God. One of Joe's wives, Dolores, Mm -hmm. the lady with the one arm that vanished after, you know, all those rumors of her arm getting eaten by an alligator, whatever. Yeah. She was eventually located alive in California. Really? So apparently she had found out about the fate of Minnie and Hazel and ran away to live with her sister because she was so afraid. Oh, for her. And despite admitting to helping dispose of Minnie and Hazel... Wheeler only spent two years in prison for being an accessory to the crime. Okay. So really surprised at that. Yeah. So <laughs> the thirties being a black man implicating himself in the in murder Texas. of white women. Yeah. I think the police and deputies really did believe him that he was afraid that he was coerced. Yeah. All these things. And also they were super frustrated and he's the only Mm -hmm. answer they were able to find. Like only lead. So he did two years in prison. And something interesting is that Joe Ball's existence was long believed to be an urban legend. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Just some sort of like part of Texas folklore. Um, But that was until 2002. 
when newspaper editor Michael Hall, so the one I said I got a lot of information from in Mm -hmm. the article of Texas Monthly, he researched this and investigated this story in depth, went to Almendorf, went to archives, everything, to see, like, how much of the story is real and how much of it is, like, embellished. And, yeah, it's everything I told you Mm -hmm. is, like, true. It's verified. The... there's like obviously some things like no one can say for sure how embellished the story is when it comes to how many women were fed to alligators if women were even fed to alligators yeah um but it's but and again no one knows how many people he killed for sure it was two some people think 20 (coughs) but people do believe he fed women to alligators he literally said he did Mm -hmm. they found an axe with matted hair and blood on it. Yeah. What kind of hair it is, I don't know. It just says hair, but mm-hmm. I think it is believed to be human. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's like parts of the story that people won't know for sure. It'll kind of remain lore because it was so long ago and there's only so many things that can be cooperated. Right. Yeah. What are they going to do? Like just the finer <laughs> details yeah. like that. But at the end of the day, Joe Ball was this twisted person who owned a tavern, had a gator pit. Definitely killed two women at least, mm-hmm. likely more. Mm-hmm. And f- fucking yeah, that's so cool. Like that, like it's absolutely fucked up, incredibly terrifying. But at the same time, really cool that this was part of like an Americana folklore, and that someone like kind of went back, and it turned out that that this is a lot more real than not real. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's still horrifying. It's still very real. Like I said, tiny parts of like, did he, can it really be true that he fed women to alligators? Suggestions. And was it 20 towards women? Yes, but we can't say 100%. Because but that's really the only two parts that are like, man, take what you will. Yeah. All the other shit is true. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's like this Americana like folklore. Like it's a story that people would sit around a campfire and be like, I'm yep. going to tell you the story of Joe Ball, the butcher of Elbendorf. Yeah. Good old blue ball beard. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, that's the story. Something interesting here is the, you know, the movie Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yep. The director, Toby Hooper. Um, he directed a 1976 horror film called Eaten Alive, <clears throat> um, which was about a psychotic hotel proprietor in rural East Texas who feeds people to an alligator that lives in a swamp beside oh. the motel. Well. And he, um, Toby Hooper is a Texan. So, like, people are like, hmm, maybe he was familiar with this lore and, like, made this movie. Hey, didn't we just watch a movie taking place in Texas? Uh, Pearl? Yeah. I don't know if Pearl was in Texas, but there was definitely a scene about alligators and yep. feeding. Hey, and, that's really cool. Yeah, and when we were there, I was like, oh, Dyson, look, we're parked We're parked in spot 34, and we're recording episode 34. Oh, that's also very weird, yeah. Weird, right? Yep, yep. Oh, my God. I love little coincidences like that, though. Yeah. It makes me feel like you're on the right sort of, like, path. <coughs> Um, oh yeah, something else interesting, in case anyone was wondering, about the five alligators. They were seized by the state of Texas, and they were donated to the San Antonio Zoo. Good. Yeah, you know what? Seldom a happy ending for animals in those kind of situations, but damn it, that's a pretty good ending for them. 
Um, they won't get the taste of flesh anymore, but I bet they're yeah. still fed well. Yeah, they did like lady fingers. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh. not funny. Yes, it is. It's been long enough. I can laugh at it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, the fucking crazy story of Joe Ball, the Alligator Man, Bluebeard of South Texas, uh, fucking Butcher of Elmendorf. Quickest nut of the South. One one nut. One nut. Yeah. Hope, hope, oh my God, I hope you guys all enjoyed that. Dyson, what did you think? Did you love it? I actually did really like that. That was it? really cool. Yeah. That was one I just randomly stumbled upon, and I was like, kind of in the same boat of people who were like, that can't be real. That's just the fuck. Yeah, that's going to be fucking fake, right? So I was like really deep diving into it. At first, <clears throat> I was worried. Like, I don't know if this is like really that real. Mm-hmm. And also, I don't know if I'd be able to f- find enough information to talk about this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I came across Michael Hall's article in the texas monthly and i was like holy fuck this is really interesting yeah this is actually verified wow guess what time it is what time is it brianna (gasps) october schedule it's october almost get ready this well the next time you hear our voices it'll be october Mm -hmm. it'll be episode 35 guess what we're gonna do for episode 35 which comes out on october 3rd what are we gonna do you and i are gonna tell some haunted spooky whatever stories we're gonna tell some tell some spooky stories we're gonna like kick off october spooky season holiday favorite halloween and we're gonna tell haunted slash ghost slash whatever kind of stories just gonna i'll spook you i'm gonna spook you i hope you spook me (laughs) episode 36 comes out on october 10th that one, we're going to bring it back to like the true crime realm. We're going to talk about a <coughs> Halloween murder. Mm. A uh, trick-or-treat terror, if you will. All so right. That's all I'll say about that. Mysterious. Episode 37 will come out on October 17th. And that is when Paige will come back. Yay! So Paige will do a you know, Paige Presents Cryptids and Folklore episode. Um, if you listened to Mothman, which I hope you did, because that episode was fucking good. Mm-hmm. She said, well, I mean, okay, I know this is my podcast. It's our podcast, but like, mm-hmm. I kind of have most of the creative <laughs> License say. and say, yeah. <laughs> Puckwidgies and Mothman are two topics that Moth Moth has done so far. Oh, that was a Yeah, you slip. really like Mothman. Okay. Mothman and Puck Wedgies are the two topics Paige has talked about. Yep. Both were my suggestion. So she was like, sure, I'll come back on in October and do a spooky episode with you, but I won't tell you what Mm. it is. So it'll be a surprise for everybody, including me, which I'm very excited about. Yeah. So we won't know what she's going to talk about until she's literally on the show. It's Santa Claus. But I will be upset. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that, that one will be fun. Then we've got the fourth episode in October, which is on the 24th, and I'm going to do a Haunted Houses episode. Oh. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to talk about the Demon House mm-hmm. and a house called the Hinsdale House. Did Zach Baggins also <laughs> do the, the second one? The Hinsdale House? Yeah. I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> Definitely Demon House, though. He isn't an anomaly to me. He's a very fascinating character. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and then, because I don't know why I chose Mondays as the day's episode comes out, because fucking so many Mondays in a month, October, which is kind of lucky for everyone, I guess, if you like Mm -hmm. spooky season, it has five Mondays. Nice. So, 
guess what? <clears throat> Monday, the fifth Monday in October is Halloween. Oh it's shit, really? Oh, that's perfect. So that'll be another true crime episode, and mm-hmm. it is the uh, a family massacre, the Halloween Lisk family massacre. Oh. So yeah, guys, that's it. That's gonna be the schedule. October is my favorite month. <coughs> you guys are my favorite people. Yeah, there's five Mondays. You get five episodes in October, and it's gonna be like straight up five episodes because it's not gonna be like a part one, part two type deal. Like it's literally gonna be five episodes. Let's go. Yeah, it's gonna be a hell of a month for you guys. Buckle up. I'm very excited. And this post, this uh, schedule will be posted on Instagram. And speaking of Instagram, go follow us there if you want to see pictures related to the case. Mm-hmm. I always post pictures and our cover art and stuff for each case we talk about. Dark Adaptation Podcast on Instagram. You can also check out the sources that we use for this episode by visiting darkadaptationpodcast.ca. And while you are there, guess what you can do? What can you do, Brianna? You can buy a beautiful embroidered patch for the low, low price of $14. And $14 includes tax and shipping. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. And I even write a beautiful handwritten note that comes from my heart to you. That's true. I've and seen I'll her do sign it. it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. I love you guys so much. Please rate the show five stars if you haven't already. Okay. See you in October. Spooky season. Spooky month. Fucking excited. Get ready. We're coming at you. And until then, catch you on the dark side, you little spooky bitches. See you, little goblins. Ghosts. the sociable inn was known for many things like it's fine brewskis and either finer wait okay well i'm glad you fucked that up because i don't want to cut it but also <sighs> because i've been dying to make some jokes about the fact that joe ball was kind of a dick <laughs> and he owned the social ball inn <laughs> do you feel better now yeah if i didn't get that out of there i would have burst <laughs> oh <laughs> No, your one ball. My one ball. <laughs> he has two. <laughs> For now. <laughs> okay. <laughs>